Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast, doing it solo again. Uh, today, we are talking about Minute 83, which begins with Gabe Jones and Jim Morita listening in on the Hydra fre- frequency and ends with Cap creeping across the top of the Schnellzug EB-912. Back on the show, it's Will Freeland from the Hype Is My Superpower podcast. Hello, Will. Hello. We are back in the Alpine uh, tops up on the mountain here, looking down as they see what it is they've been looking for, um, the train down below. But before we get to the train, it's actually, uh, we've got this little moment, some uh, back with Ca- uh, Cap and Bucky banter. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the way that Cap and Bucky are portrayed in the film? Do you like this Bucky as opposed to the little child Bucky? And do you like the the kind of the way that Sebastian Stan and Chris Evans kind of create this relationship between them? I do like it. I like that Steve has like a best friend that is his age. <laughs> right. Um, and again, it's, we talked about it in past episodes, but it's just like, you don't have decades of history that you can go and just like establish. And so like where you have an entire war and see the different missions that Steve and Bucky have gone on. And so to have them be childhood friends and they grew up together and Bucky was always the big brother. And then you get Steve basically role reversing. <laughs> um, I I really like it. They've got great brotherly chemistry. It's it's a lot of fun. Do you like the the relationship as it kind of continues in the uh, MCU? Yeah. Um, I really, they have, you know, they've gotten to the point where they don't need to talk. You know, they have that kind of like brother camaraderie together um the insight you get into bucky and the shield uh in captain america or or falcon and the winter soldier is amazing but yeah throughout you know the 30 films at this point and like 75 tv shows um (laughs) when, when you get to see steve and bucky on screen together and the the way that they just they only need to give each other looks and they can banter but they know exactly what they're going to go do i mean that that's the dream for like a partner especially in war <laughs> yeah yeah and and also i mean i think that there's this sense of the two of them i mean we've seen them bantering since we first saw them together when bucky saved steven that alley but there's also like so so we get that sense of the history with the two of them but also what i love about it is I don't know. I feel like in military, uh, like when they're out in the field in situations like this, there's this sense of using that banter as a way to kind of diffuse the, the, the tension and the nervousness that you may have in these situations where, yeah, we're on top of a mountain and we're about to, uh, to zip line down uh, on this wire that, you know, we may, if we don't jump in time, we're either going to, you know, hit the rock wall at the end of the wire, or we're going to, or the train's going to hit us. Like something bad could happen if we, if we mess this up. And then if we succeed, we're still jumping onto the enemy's train where we're going to be fighting the enemy. And like, it's, it's an, it's an incredibly like insane, uh, you know, 
plan that they have here. And so, yeah, when you have this moment where Bucky and Steve are kind of having this little moment to kind of uh, break that tension, like I buy it. I feel like it works on all those different levels. Absolutely. And it also, I mean, it's kind of that funny moment because they're talking about riding a roller coaster and Steve is like, yeah, and I threw up. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like that's very funny. It, it feels fitting for him as the as the puny Steve. Although it does make me wonder, it's like, well, if puny Steve would throw up on a roller coaster, wouldn't Super Steve still potentially throw up? Or is like, is that part of his super constitution? <laughs> is that what it is? Super equilibrium. <laughs> or would it be super throw up? Like, see, that's the question. <laughs> really intense. Really, really intense. You don't want to see it. Man, that's just a terrible image that I've created now. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Yeah, thanks for that. All right. Well, yeah, you're welcome. Meanwhile, let's get off of that as quick as we can. Uh, we, we're back to Jones and Marita, and they are tapping into this line, as we've seen, listening in on Hydra's, um, Hydra's frequencies. And this is where we find out, as Jones tells them, that Dr. Zola is on the train. They've had permission to open up the throttle because wherever they're going, they must need him bad is kind of the the message of this uh, thing that Jones tells them. Um, one, that speaks poorly to the fact that it is winter on these tracks, as we talked about it in our last minute. It's like, <laughs> open up the throttle. You know what? This is a hydro train. It's not going to it's magnetized to the track. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things. <laughs> Why I do, do they feel with. safe? Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> they're, they're apparently not too worried. Um, and also what's interesting is in the uh in the script it's not um it's not clarified that zola is on the train they just in this communication they get it's just like whatever is on the train they must need it bad so they don't actually know that they're not i, I don't know the way that it's set up here is like they're going here specifically because they want to capture zola like that's the way it, it's portrayed to me or as i as i watch the film oh okay they want to capture zola and so they're on the train you know, they're ready to jump onto it in case he is. And he is, so we're going to do it. Like, that's, I don't know, that's how I read it. Yeah. But in the script, it's it plays as, we're going to jump on this train because whatever it is, Hydra wants it bad. And it tr ends up being Zola, which is uh, mm. kind of an interesting little shift in the way that that plays. Does that, do you like it that way? Or do you feel like it, it works better knowing that they're after Zola at this point in time? Oh, that's interesting. Um. I guess it's already like a two plus hour movie, but if you wanted more screen time, I feel like going in, it's like a first episode of, of the Mandalorian where it's like, I'm going to go get this package. What is this package? And then it's like, Oh, it's a person. It's not a tool or weapon or whatever. Um, and so like, but that requires at least two conversations of screen time. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, taking away the mystery, I think is fine because, you know, an hour and a half into your movie, I think you want to just, you're, you want to keep on ramping up to your, to your climax and not continually leaving questions and having a mystery to solve and then another side quest and another side quest. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's it, you're right. It's it's interesting that um that it's so specifically Zola that they're after. And I guess it makes sense. Like when you think about 
yes, we can keep destroying Hydra's factories, but, you know, for every one ha- factory we destroy, two more spring up, you know, using the Hydra, the Hydra <laughs> motto. So I guess their thinking is like, you know, let's, let's attack their, their designer, the person who's coming up with all this stuff. Let's get him so that they, that he's not there to kind of continue doing these designs and coming up with more of this stuff. The other way that it would have played were in the script, it's like, I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I guess I just don't, I don't like the idea that it was, oh, it was you that, that they're wanting. Okay, well, uh, what do we do with you? Like, I, I, it feels like an odd mystery to have decided to set up. So this makes so much more sense to me. Making it specifically Zola, I guess, raises the question of why don't we just kill him? I mean, I guess it speaks to the, like, evil of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the SSR. Because they want Zola to make weapons for them instead of for for Schmidt. Because we see, like, right in the next scene, in the next cut, the train just got off of the bridge. You could have just blown out the bridge and be done with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like, there's, like, if what they were transporting wasn't something that that the SSR wanted to to talk to or to study, yeah, they could have just destroyed it right here and taken out the path for future Hydra trains to kind of uh, transport this gear across this mountain. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting that they very specifically are trying to capture. And I guess, I mean, we'll have the scene later with Colonel Phillips and Zola. And as we'll kind of, you know, explore in later films, like, yeah, there is this darker side to what S.H.I.E.L.D.'s intentions are. And perhaps, you know, this darker side to the way that that whole absolute power corrupts absolutely thing. Like, hey, and, and, you know, we're not seeing the behind the scenes but yeah, maybe they have they've started capturing all these shield weapons. They re- are sorry, these hydro weapons. They're realizing the this instant this this insane power of the tesseract that is fueling them. But they don't know where it's coming from. They just keep finding weapon after weapon and like what is Hydra using to create these things? And and Howard's probably studying them, and they're probably like we want this for ourselves. And we'll certainly like even in the next movie we'll talk about phase two and. And using um, this technology in some capacity um, themselves, but it's it's how the group starts thinking what they can do with this stuff, and I think that's um, that reflects to the dark the darker side of these organizations. And even if at this point SSR, which will be Shield, does not have that underbelly of Hydra agents kind of inside of it, it's coming, and you can see. The, the mentality of coming up with ideas like this of hey let's let's not blow this train up but let's let's get the guy who's on it who can we'll bring him over to our side you can see how there are people within the organization who are already starting to think down these lines and how easy it might be for them to kind of be convinced to join Hydra mm-hmm. so it it's interesting when you start thinking about it in that capacity. All right, so now we've got this this moment. Um, well, one, I just got to call out the fact that when Steve puts his helmet on, I think it's really interesting that they design his Captain America helmet to look like a legitimate helmet. Like, he puts it on like, uh, you know, it looks like a helmet. It's kind of cool, the way that it kind of comes on. I think that's a fun little fun little beat. It's the, it's the little, like, flip on the back of the helmet. Yeah, it, it looks like a helmet, right? So that he can move his head. 
Yeah, I think that's cool. It's very nice of them. Uh, all right. So then we have Fallsworth telling them you got to get going. And then we've got this whole line about Steve. Uh, we've got a 10 second window. I don't know who figured that out. And I don't know. How, did, did they, <laughs> and when. Yeah. Did they already do a <laughs> test run on the wire to figure out how fast they go? I mean, they don't know how fast the train. Like, there's so many things about the the physics of all of this that I, I really struggle with. And it, I mean, you know, it's a it's a movie. It's a Marvel movie on top of that. And it's one of those things that if you're just not in the moment when you're watching it and you're asking yourself these questions, then it's not working <laughs> for you, clearly. But in a movie-by-minute yeah. format, we start thinking about these things. And it's one of those things where I'm like, how do they know how fast that train is going? They open the throttle, but what does that mean to them? You know, do they have to leave instead of, like, maybe it used to be 15 seconds, but they're like, well... It's opened the throttle up, so let's. You've got ten seconds now to get on. Like, I end up having way too many questions as I watch this. <laughs> yeah, and this is one of those uh, scenes where it's insane that they're not wearing gloves, other yeah. than Cap. Right, right. I don't. I don't <laughs> understand that none of them have gloves on. It just. It's. It. It really boggles my mind that they're. I mean, they're grabbing these metal handles. On these, yeah, uh, it's very simple tech for this for these zip lines that they're using. Yeah, right. I know it's crazy, and they're getting ready to jump off, hurl through the cold, wintry air down to mm-hmm. this train. Uh, man, like kids' playgrounds have rubber <laughs> for their grips on their like zip lines things, right? right. And this is just metal bars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, these hands, you're going to, they're not going to be able to use their hands by the time they land because they're going to end up having frostbite on them. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What does Dum Dum say? Oh, so, well, Steve says, you know, we got 10 seconds. If we miss, uh, we're bugs on a windshield. Bugs and, on a windshield. And so Dum Dum says, better get moving, bugs. Every time I watch it, when he says, better get moving, bugs, I immediately think of Bugs Bunny <laughs> and not. <laughs> like insects and it always throws me off every single time I watch this scene. <laughs> well, okay, and I think the part of the reason for that is because before he says that to them, he does like it would it would make more sense if he says that immediately after Steve says you missed that window where bugs on a windshield and then he says better get moving bugs. But we get an interruption from Fallsworth in there saying mind the gap, which uh, it ends up one anachronistically like mind the gap wasn't ex- wasn't introduced in the london underground until 1968 so completely it makes no sense except to modern audiences that he would say that so it's it's very strange mm. that that he uses that but two it ends up being this weird interruption um in the middle of this, the I don't know. I feel like it's Dum Dum's joke gets kind of completely crushed and <laughs> leads you to thinking of Bugs Bunny because uh, because of this weird interruption there. It's it's a strange yeah. Well, then, yeah, which then like retroactively makes the gap like a Looney Tunes Wiley Coyote drop. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> that's what I, I that's what I think he's thinking of. Because there seems to be like the the train is going along a mountain edge, the side of a mountain, and so. They're clearly, I guess, on a cliff on the on another mountain that's right next to this mountain. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it seems so like there's a canyon. The gap yeah. is like don't let go too early. Yeah, right. Yeah, but I I don't know. Like 
even if they were going to use that as a joke, I feel like it would have worked better if Captain America said, you know, we've got 10 seconds, you got to time it right or we're going to be bugs on a windshield. Have Dum Dum Dugan say, better get moving, bugs. And then they start jumping and then, you know, screen, shouting out to them. You have Fallsworth say, mind the gap. As they're yeah, going. Or something that, I mean, then it would have worked a little better, even if it is anachronistic. Yeah. But I don't know. And why do only three, so we've got Captain America, Bucky, and Gabe as the three uh, troops who hop down onto the train. Why is it just those three? And weirdly, in my head, it's always been the entire group. I don't know if I've ever really paid that much attention that just the three of them do it. But, like, why do the other four stay behind? Yeah. I mean, if, if their intentions are to help at some point, like once they do manage to get inside and get Zola, which is, as we've kind of gathered their intention, they're going to be miles away. <laughs> I chalk it up to because there has to be distance between each jumper, apparently, because they're very specifically timed. <laughs> then the, the, the f- jumpers four through seven aren't going to be able to make it to the train. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Maybe. It, it, I mean, for a no prize, sure. You know, it's like there's got to be some reason for it. It's, I mean, it's not a huge train. I th- from what I could tell when it was on the bridge, it looks to be about seven cars, which is including the engine. Yeah. So it's not incredibly long. Um, and as we see when they start landing and m- moving across it, like, I think even in the visual effects as they were putting it together, they were losing track about which car are they on? You know, because some of it seems a little like, I think they're, I think they're a car off, but we'll talk about that in tomorrow's minute as we kind of continue seeing them on the trains. It, yeah, it's a, I don't know. I guess I just struggle with the fact that this is a team, but only three of you are going to go do this thing. And now the rest of us are like, you know, we're just going to go back, hike down the mountain. Like, are they hike? I mean, I don't know. Where are they? They're, they're going to have to like do days hike to get back to. Right. How did they get, we don't see them get the, I feel like they got airdropped onto that like little ledge that they have. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, well, now I want like the the, the one shot story of the rest of the Howling Commandos. After these three hop onto the train, they're like, "Well, all right, let's uh, hop on our sleds and or hop on our skis or whatever, and we'll we'll slo- uh, shoot on down to the lodge and sit by the fire and have some hot cocoa." <laughs> yeah, yeah. These three pulled the short straw. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a I don't know. It's a funny. It's a funny little moment. Um, I mean, I guess we'll see. You know how effectively they use these three. Uh, in tomorrow's minute, we'll we'll talk more about that. But um, I did want to bring up the the train is called the Schnellzug EB nine twelve, which uh, it, it's the express train is what it means. So uh, I guess it's just the Hydra Express train. Uh, you know that's what they're that's what they have just jumped onto. It doesn't say that there is anything special about this as far. Uh, well, I guess on the wiki, I take it back. It does say it was powered by the Tesseract, um, and so it can reach. Uh far greater speeds than any other locomotive of that era, which also speaks to the fact that they shouldn't be going at those speeds on icy tracks over a canyon in the middle of winter. <laughs> Checks out. I will take the quick a quick second to just talk about, like, the battle damage, I guess, on uh, Cap's shield. Oh, sure, yeah. I was... I can only defend it when i sit here thinking about it minute by minute but like i always felt like it's a vibranium shield 
it should never have battle damage. <laughs> when you look at it, I guess it's the parts that have been painted have like gotten parts of the paint has been shot off, but it's all still silver under the paint. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's largely what it looks like, except, I mean, when you look close at the shield, it looks like it's not like red, white, red, white, blue. It actually is like red, unpainted vibranium, red, you know, unpainted <laughs> vibranium blue. And so the unpainted vibranium yeah. also looks like it it has that battle damage on it. And so I I do wonder about that as well. Like, should it have those smudges on it? I get it if it is the paint, but if it is the vibranium, yeah, why does it have that, those markings? And so, and, but like, so the couple of marks that are on the vibranium part are only there as like black outlines from like the soot or the impact of whatever he got shot by. So like, it's arguable that it still works, but yeah, I don't know, it's... It's a little odd. Like, I get they want to just show that time has passed. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Although, interestingly, when we first finally see the the full-on shield, this is exactly how it looks. Like, it it comes pre-battle damage (laughs) when we first see it. It's not even the fresh new one, which is pretty funny. I mean, we talked a little bit last week about the vibranium and how vibranium, if if you think about what actually would would happen with vibranium the fact that it repels kind of everything means you wouldn't even be able to paint it like it would it would just like instantly <laughs> come off like it, there's there's nothing about it that is logical and so i don't know it's one of those things you kind of got to just roll with it go all right well i guess we'll buy into these these marks on it yeah it's either got to be painted or you go into this world of Blue vibranium and red vibranium. <laughs> hey, well, there's interesting. That's an interesting world. <laughs> uh, I'd love to see Steve and, and Howard uh, working that out. Okay, but what if you do red here? He's like, I only have so much blue. <laughs> okay, so the blue that can be just in the middle, and we've got a lot more red. So let's put. <laughs> it's a whole other conversation. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, does that cover the minute? I think so, yeah. So we've got them creeping across the top of the train. We'll talk about that a little more next time. But um, otherwise, uh, let's wrap it up. So uh, remind everyone again what you are up to out there on the interwebs. Yeah, on the interwebs. I'm on Twitch as uh, Silver Dreamer, Silver with a Y. Uh, stream Wednesdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Uh, primarily talk about Marvel stuff. And I build kits like Legos and uh, Gunpla. Fun. That's awesome. Come and hang out. Awesome. Check that out. The link will be in the show notes, everybody. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. So, Will, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.